Maybe your child is on a delayed start today. You just dropped them off to school. Grab another cup of coffee. Join us. Stay inside, <laughs> maybe by the fire, and warm up to us here at Mornings at 10. We have so much to talk about this morning and a lot happening right now. Yeah, any minute now, a judge is expected to rule on whether to dismiss charges against Daniel Penny. He is the man who choked Jordan Neely to death in the subway. Here's a live look at Lower Manhattan at the courthouse where Donald Trump is in court for a second straight day. This is the penalty phase of E. Jean Carroll's defamation trial against him. And we're also following some breaking news overseas. Kate Middleton, the Princess of Wales, has undergone a serious abdominal surgery. We see ABC's James Longman standing by here in London with the breaking details. And James, what do we know about this new news? Yeah, hi guys. Yeah, we only just found this out in the last uh, hour or so. She was admitted yesterday to a hospital here uh, in London for abdominal surgery. That's all we know at the moment. We don't know the nature of the surgery, but I think the reason why it's garnering some attention is because of the amount of time she's going to need to recuperate. The statement from Kensington Palace says up to 14 days in the hospital before she can uh, go home. Uh, now, a statement was released by the palace saying uh, that she hopes that the public will understand her desire to maintain as much normality for her children as possible and that her personal medical information uh, remain private. She went on to apologize for having to cancel uh, her duties. There are a number of events, of course, that she carries out as Princess of Wales alongside William. He also is gonna have to scale back a little bit in order to look after uh, their children, but look, she is a very fit and active uh, young woman. I'm sure as soon as she feels that she's able to be up and about, she will be. Guys. James, thank you. Thank you, and James. Of course, wishing her a speedy recovery. And you just never know with the... That's could be so many different things. And, so. it, and it just goes to show just the enormity of their roles. You know, the, the fact that this is breaking news, that she is having this procedure, how it impacts also William. So yeah, certainly um, those official duties, you know, will be impacted. No yeah. doubt about that. Let's talk about the weather back yeah. here because it's cold. We had the snow <laughs> and the freezing rain yesterday, yes. uh, you know, followed right behind by this Arctic blast. Uh, a big blast, too. And mm -hmm. temperatures still struggling to get above the teens. It feels even colder because we had that wind factor just making it feel even worse right now. It's nice. 19 in Central Park. We also at least have bright sunshine, so it looks nice outside. It just doesn't feel great. 18 in White Plains, also 20 in Newark, zooming out. 19 in Belmar, down to 16 in Newburgh. But watch what happens once you add in the winds. It feels like zero in Newburgh, nine degrees in Central Park, and four in Belmar. Right now, winds are fairly gusty out of the northwest, up to around 20 to 21 miles per hour. And winds will just get even stronger. Prepare for gusts up to 25 to 35. We hit a high of 27. We all stay below freezing. And even though we reach temperatures in the low to mid 20s, it's still going to feel like the teens because we just hold on to that breeze basically all day. Look at peak wind chill temperature of 15 what? in the city. Tomorrow, though, a little better, 34, uh -huh. <laughs> 34 yeah, degrees. Yeah. But we'll also have a few flurries late Thursday and more snow that will fall on Friday. Awesome. Yeah. It's just so at, least, at least the sun is out. Today. Yes. That's that is true. Something. Could be worse. Mm -hmm. Silver lining. Um, thank you for that, Brittany. We want to update you now on that harrowing police shooting yesterday in Brooklyn. Two NYPD officers have been released from the hospital after they were shot while responding to a domestic violence call. And now we're getting our first look at that suspect who remains in the hospital right now after also being shot in the whole chaos. Phil Tate has been following the latest developments in Crown Heights. So, Phil, what do we know at 10 a.m.? 
Yeah, the latest is those two officers have been released. That suspect, 39-year-old Melvin Butler, remains hospitalized, and he had six prior arrests in New York, one other in North Carolina. Well, he was really at the center of this domestic call as those officers were responding. That was just before that gunfire erupted. But right now, we are getting a closer look at Mr. Butler, and that is who police say is the son of the woman, uh, the 39-year-old son, Melvin Butler, who was attacking her and her second floor. Crown Heights apartment and even complained of a head injury. But when officers tried to arrest the 39-year-old suspect, asking him to put his hands behind his back, that's when things went south. A violent struggle happened, and in a moment, Butler grabbed the officer's weapon and shots were fired. One officer shot in the left hand, the other in the left thigh. Last November, November we reported there were 3,200 assaults, and for the mayor, he says these crimes should be taken very seriously. Thank God. Our police officers are going to be okay. But New Yorkers need to ask the question, why is this continuing to happen? Why are these vicious assaults on police officers happening day after day? The assaults keep on going up. Why is that happening? Why does an individual, a repeat offender who's been arrested time and time again, feel like he can resist arrest? He can attack. New York City police officers. He can shoot two New York City police officers. And Butler has a history of resisting arrest along with domestic violence. Well, that's the very latest here outside of New York City Health and Hospitals, Kings County. I'm Phil Tate, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. Phil, thank you. Daniel Penny, who choked a man to death on the subway, is back in court right now. Penny's lawyers have asked the judge to dismiss the involuntary manslaughter charges against him. His attorneys claim the victim, Jordan Neely, was, quote, insanely threatening. Prosecutors have said that Penny, a Marine veteran, held his arm around Neely's neck for six minutes, well past the point when Neely stopped moving. The judge expected to rule today on Penny's request to dismiss the charges. Okay, let's talk about congestion pricing now. New Jersey has now added the MTA as a defendant in its lawsuit over the plan. The suit says the controversial tolling program, which is expected to charge most drivers $15 to enter Midtown, discriminates, excuse me, discriminates against New Jersey commuters. The lawsuit was originally filed in July and at the time only listed just the U.S. Department of Transportation as a defendant. In other transit news, officials in Westchester County are pushing for the Metro North Hudson Line to have direct access to Penn Station. Today, Westchester County Executive George Latimer and Yonkers Mayor Mike Spano will be among those calling for a study into this possibility. Well, there's a rally expected today at City Hall urging Mayor Adams to sign the How Many Stops Act. Now, this would require police officers to record demographic information of the people they question as part of low-level interactions. Advocates for the bill say the goal is for officers to enter that data on the department-issued cell phones while they're still on the job. But the NYPD pushing back, releasing this video criticizing the bill. Officers already have to return early to the station house to log on to a computer and categorize the recording of each encounter with the public. The new bill adds even more administrative work on top of that. Mayor Adams, a former police captain, has not yet said whether he will sign the bill, but has publicly shared the same stance depicted in that NYPD video. The city council passed that bill last year. Governor Hochul says she will travel to Washington on Friday to press federal officials for more money to deal with the migrant crisis. In her budget address yesterday, Hochul proposed $2.4 billion in state funding for New York City over the next two years for migrants. Companies won't do business in New York if there are thousands of people sleeping on the streets. 
where the quality of life is dramatically impacted because the city is forced to cut essential services. Because of that influx in funding, Mayor Adams says the city may be able to stave off future service cuts. That includes a third round of 5% spending cuts planned for April across all city agencies. Time for a quick roundup of some other stories making headlines across the area right now. Today, family members of those two firefighters killed in the Port Newark cargo ship fire, along with some union leaders, will be addressing the ongoing investigative hearings into the tragedy. We know yesterday, one of the fire captains battling that fire testified that a kink in a fire hose being used at the time really disoriented him in the middle of all of that. At that point, he was separated from the other two firefighters who ultimately died. Tomorrow is the final day for the hearings. Two men are facing federal charges for allegedly dropping off an explosive at the home of a business rival in Westchester County. It resulted in a minor explosion at a home in Bedford Thursday. Authorities say they found a box with a gas can and firework tubing at the scene. A label on the box led police to the home of one of the suspects. So there is a new study that says lifting the city's cap on vendor permits, this is something we talk about a lot, would generate millions in additional revenue. So right now there are just over 5,000 permits available with thousands more vendors operating without permits. According to the city's independent budget office, increasing the number of permits to 22,000 would increase revenue for the city by more than $13 million. The study considered increased sales taxes as well as the permit fees. There's also a push from the council to lift the current cap on vendor permits. Coming up, did we beat a recession? That felt like a certainty amid rising inflation, of course. The positive news coming from the Federal Reserve. Yeah, do we have that soft landing that was talked about so, so much? Also, Amtrak expected to replace those Acela trains eight years ago. But now we have our first signs of some progress in the process. And remember this moment from the Kansas City Chiefs game. Well, I do. Now, <laughs> one bakery is cashing in on Andy Reid's <laughs> mustache. <laughs> We're back now with Dr. Sutton, and we want to talk about this major new report this morning coming out from mm -hmm. the Amer American Cancer Society. And it says that overall cancer deaths are declining, which is incredibly Good positive news. news, obviously, as the fight continues. But there's this troubling increase in particular of colon and breast cancer in younger adults. Yes. What, do, what do you make of this? It's, it's concerning for many different reasons. I think, number one, we see the benefit of when we have smoking campaigns and educating people about smoking. Significantly, if you look 10 years ago, those over the age of 20 smoked significantly more than they do today. Mm. That's one of the reasons why we've seen a reduction in the rates of cancer and 4.1 million deaths have been averted. But when you look at the rates of colon cancer, specifically for those under the age of 50, yeah. you see that rate start to increase. And unfortunately now colon cancer is the number one cause of death for men under the age of 50. And I think a lot of this is associated to a variety of different factors. Number one, I think possibly there's more awareness and education about this diagnosis. So it's possible that more people are seeking out that assistance. But then environmentally, when you look at environmental toxins, rates of obesity, oh. stress, lack of exercise, diet and processed foods, that might also be contributing to the rates that we're seeing in younger adults. But at the end of the day, this is an important reminder that if you have any symptoms or if you have any personal risk or you know that you have a family risk, you should start a conversation with your primary I don't provider. know if Chadwick Boseman had a family risk, but he was 43, so it was before that age yes. when you get that screening. So it is a difficult one, but it's something that we all need to explore for ourselves. Well, why, not, why not just lower it? We were talking about this. Why not just lower the screening age requirement even more? recommendation even more. And there are some that are pushing for that. I think that's a difficult stance, uh, mainly because when you're looking at population studies in public health, you're trying your best to do the 
most that you can with what you have. And also, colonoscopies are not a benign procedure. And so you don't want to just provide them without known cause gotcha. and, a, and a reasonable understanding of what is the risk. But I think overall, we've seen some corrections. We've seen a reduction in the age of colon cancer screenings from the age of 50 to the age of 45. And that might decrease in the future depending on what additional data comes in. But right now, it really also can change based on, again, your family history right. and your And the uh, same could be said about breast cancer as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Breast cancer as well. And also, when you look at these numbers, what's more concerning, as we were discussing during the break, is the disparities that exist. As black men, we are more likely to be diagnosed with later stage colon cancer. We are more likely to be diagnosed with more aggressive forms, and we're more likely to die. And we're less likely to be offered screening colonoscopies. So I think in terms of patients, to understand these numbers so that you can act as your own advocate to get the tests that you need. Yes, because this study, as we discussed, also talked about how uterine cancer is on the up Yes. Tick. So um, that's also very concerning because I thought that a lot of us were getting our screenings, but apparently there's disparities in that too. There are, and I think it's also due, it's speaking to the cracks that we're seeing in the system overall of healthcare. It's becoming more and more difficult to get that appointment with that primary care provider. And as an emergency physician, I have to applaud our primary care providers. They do a tremendous <laughs> amount of work in saving our population from preventable disease, but the conversation and the access needs to be there, and that's what we have to work on. And for young people reading this new report, what can be done? Are there certain questions you should, you should be asking your primary care doctor or lifestyle changes like a diet change, exercise yeah. change? What do you recommend? Well, I think, number one, the things that we can modify in our life are things that we should. Number one, our diet. Uh, of, of course, we understand smoking is directly related to many of these cancers, so you should abstain from that. And other toxins like alcohol, you should limit your consumption of these products because that increases your risk. And then in, in, in terms of education and information and awareness, when you show up to your doctor's appointment, you should understand exactly what is your history, what is your risk, have all your medications, bring an advocate so that they can understand and hear, because I know when I'm talking to patients, I can understand how it feels. Sometimes there's so much information, you can't take it all in. But educate yourself, understand your risks, modify what you can, thank you. and get the help that you need. All right, Doctor, we'll be right thank back. You. Of course. So we've been talking about this cold, and we have to show you this image because it went viral. More than likely, you did see it. Um, this is something that we had to bring up with you on the show. <laughs> well, listen, Mr. I, Kansas City Chiefs fan. Uh, we're talking about Andy Reid's uh, viral mustache, the mustache that got frozen. Oh, kind of. So gross. this is during the game. Sorry. This is this is during the game on Saturday night in Kansas City, where the temperature at kickoff was minus four degrees, but the feels like was minus 27 degrees. This was the fourth coldest game in NFL history. The coldest game that the Miami Dolphins have ever played in and the Kansas <laughs> City Chiefs have ever played in. They did not have a chance. So you can see why the moisture froze immediately. And we say moisture because, you know, it's a family show. We know what was going on with the mustache there. Uh, and so look, there's, there's a local Kansas City bakery called McLean's. They took the opportunity to cash in on the moment. And, and so they made the frozen mustache in honor of Coach Andy Reid. He's the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. The bakery says these cakes are very popular, but even more so right now. I'm just glad we moved on from that close up because it was kind of gross. And no. so yeah. now the bakery, they're thinking of taking another moment from the game and turning it into a sweet treat. They said that they are contemplating making a cookie or a cake with a cracked helmet on it because I guess Patrick Mahomes his helmet I've never seen something like this so you see this oh. piece of his helmet that cracked and the, the thought is because it was so cold oh. the helmet oh, yeah. cracked 
And it was an amazing <laughs> moment of the game where, you know, a player collided with the helmet there and it cracked. And so, yeah, in honor of that. But the Chiefs take on the Buffalo Bills. Of course, Buffalo still digging out from all that snow that they had. I just yes. checked the weather is expected to be somewhat dry precipitation-wise. Oh, but, but temperatures in the why well, didn't want to I don't <laughs> put you on the spot. as a resource. <laughs> I looked at ABC 7 and Y. And, uh, and so I would love to hear a game time temperature because the, the kickoff is at 630. So. Around 22, but it's going to feel like 14 degrees for kickoff. Oh, there we go. See? Okay. Perfect. <laughs> okay, let's follow some of the top stories happening right now at the bottom of the hour. E. Jean Carroll set to testify today in the penalty phase of her defamation trial against Donald Trump. The former president splitting his time from the campaign trail last night to the courtroom today where he just arrived this morning. The trial will determine if Trump owes any more money for defaming Carol in 2019 when he denied her allegations of sexual abuse. Trump has denied all wrongdoing and has said he doesn't know who Carol is. Eyewitness News reporter Janice Yu has been following this story for us all morning long, and here she is now. Janice. Good morning, guys. E. Jean Carroll arrived at the courthouse just after 8.30 this morning. The former president's motorcade showed up about a less than an hour after. And, and yesterday was actually the first time these two have been in the same room in decades. And today, the former president will be in that courtroom as Carroll uh, testifies. She um, is 80 years old. She's a columnist and a magazine writer. She, again, will be taking the witness stand today. She tells the jury uh, Trump defamed her after she went public with the allegations that he sexually assaulted her in a Bergdorf Goodman dressing room. And before uh, the hearing started, there was an uncomfortable exchange between the judge and Trump's defense attorney, who once again asked to adjourn the trial Thursday so Trump can attend Melania Trump's mother's funeral. The judge refused that. And with one week to go before the New Hampshire primary, the former president is splitting his time between campaigning and court. He boarded a plane for New Hampshire before yesterday's opening statement and will be heading back there for another campaign event later today. And during yesterday's opening statements, her attorney, Carol's attorney, said Trump, while he was president, used the world's biggest microphone to humiliate and destroy her reputation. Now, a jury in a separate case has already decided the former president sexually abused her in the 90s and defamed her. Carol is seeking $10 million in damages, but it will ultimately be up to the nine-person jury to decide how much, if any, the former president should have to pay in damages. Now, Trump's attorney does say the former president plans to testify himself in court, but the judge says that if he wants to do that, there will be strict uh, limitations on what he is able to say. Live in uh, Lower Manhattan, Janice U Channel 7, Eyewitness News. Janice, thanks so much. Police are searching for the person they say raped a 10-year-old girl in East Harlem. Officers say it happened January 6th. The person met the 10-year-old at around 11 p.m. near 3rd Avenue and 122nd Street after meeting through an app. They say he fled on foot after the attack. The victim was taken to a hospital in stable condition. A bombshell sexual assault suit against James Dolan, the owner of the Knicks and CEO of Madison Square Garden. A massage therapist identified as Kelly Croft says Dolan pressured her into sex a decade ago. At the time, she was working for the Eagles. We're talking about the band, not the football team. She says Dolan also had her meet with Harvey Weinstein who also forced himself on her, she says. In a statement, attorneys for Dolan say that the suit has no merit and that Dolan and Croft had a friendship. 
Today, a New York father whose son has been held hostage by Hamas for 103 days will travel to Washington with the families of other hostages. They'll push lawmakers to take more urgent action to bring them home. Ruby Chen's son, Ate, was serving with the IDF and guarding a farming community on October 7th when Hamas terrorists breached the border and took him captive. Since then, his father has been to the White House, Congress and the U.N. urging the government to do more. Call up your senator, call up your congressman, ask them not what you have talked about, ask them what are you doing, actions, how are you getting these U.S. citizens, New Yorkers, out of this hell that they're in. Yesterday. Qatar announced it had mediated a deal to deliver medicine to the hostages and humanitarian aid to Palestinian civilians. Four passengers suing Alaska Airlines at Boeing after this door plug blew off in the middle of the flight earlier this month. The passengers suing the companies for alleged injuries, including intense fear, distress, anxiety, trauma, and physical pain. Federal investigators looking into what caused the door plug to blow off that Boeing 737 MAX 9 jet shortly after takeoff. After two years of skyrocketing inflation, Federal Reserve officials say they are confident the fight with inflation may have been won, finally. Top Federal Reserve official says recent trends have him confident that inflation will continue to fall, hopefully back to the targeted 2% level the Reserve wants. As long as inflation doesn't rebound, they expect to be able to cut interest rates down this year. Some projections have them cutting rates at least three times this year. Rates were last raised in July to a 22-year high as part of an effort to cool down inflation. A legal dispensary opens today on Staten Island, making it the last of the five boroughs to open a legal recreational marijuana shop. This one's called The Flowery. It's going to host a grand opening this morning, located on Veterans Road West near the Outer Bridge Crossing. Now, this comes at a time the state is looking to increase the pace of dispensary openings after a lawsuit hindered New York's legal marijuana rollout. Also, new legislation would make New Jersey the third state to legalize so-called magic mushrooms. The bill would decriminalize the use of psychedelic mushrooms by anybody over the age of 21. It would also expunge past and pending offenses involving the drug. New Jerseyans would also be allowed to grow their own mushrooms for personal use in their homes. The measure reportedly has strong support.